Hi, I'm Jason Lewis. And I'm Todd Deshida. And this is Climate Optimus, a podcast focused on solving climate change by creating a shared awareness of what needs to be done, why it's possible, and how each of us can play a role. So this week, we'll have kind of a continuation of our discussion of electric vehicles. And before we jump into there, thought we'd cover some EV-relevant climate headlines. So, I don't know your thoughts, Todd, but I kind of looking back over the last six months, it feels like automakers are finally starting to make some real commitments around addressing climate change by transitioning to EVs after, you know, what, 30 years of dragging their feet? Yeah, exactly. I <clears throat> I was uh, surprised. It feels like they're, you know, it feels like they're they're leading on this a little bit, which seems, you know, out of character. To, yeah, <laughs> th- th- I was not. I was definitely not expecting that. But yeah, it's awesome. yeah. I think you're right. It's it's sort of like pleasant surprise. So, I think the one audio manufacturer that was really kind of out in front first as far as making commitments was was Volvo. And, you know, they pledged previously to be fully electric by by 2030. Um, They have their Polestar brand, which is basically a luxury spinoff. And that that company is working to become the first car manufacturer to produce a carbon neutral car. That is, you know, the entire manufacturing process is carbon neutral, Ah. which is pretty fantastic. Yeah, that's cool. But talking about our, you know, domestic manufacturers here at home, GM recently announced that it's going to build two more U.S. battery plants. That's in addition to the two it already has under construction. And it's now, it's been continually kind of upping its pledge in terms of its investment in EVs. And it's now up to a commitment of $35 billion by 2025. And... In addition to that, by 2035, they've committed to only sell electric vehicles. Wow. Which is the first by a you know, U.S. auto manufacturer. That's crazy. Uh, Ford. They, they were the who killed elect- the electric car people, weren't they? Yeah, Ford, GM, a couple of the Japanese Anya manufacturers. They, yeah, they all came together to pour, oppose the uh, California Air Resources Board decision. Right. I don't know if I ever saw that. I should probably check it out. But I, if I remember correctly, they like they didn't sell. They wouldn't even sell the ones they had made or something, right? They right. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, at the end of the project, because they were eventually able to, with heavy lobbying, overturn the the rule. Right. And then, yeah, and then they crushed the cars at the end of it. Like these people who were just in love with the, these electric cars they've been driving. They took them all back like some kind of draconian mafia thing, and they crushed them up, and that was it. Wow! And now they're you know gonna go back in twenty thirty five. Yeah. Right to just selling electric cars. That's that's interesting. Yeah, Ford. You know, I think because of a heavy prompting by GM, Ford has also pledged to invest thirty billion in electric vehicles by twenty twenty five. So they're pretty comparable in terms of that investment. But Ford has yet to make yeah. a, a commitment in terms of when they're going to phase out internal combustion engines. Hmm. Hmm. So with that sort of a lead-in, uh, we want to really 
talk more about electric vehicles, the emissions associated with driving them, both the manufacturing and the driving. Talk about some of the other uh, items that are concerned for folks like, you know, moving to, you know, lithium ion batteries and, and what does that mean for the environment? It's worth pointing out, though, that transportation really is pretty pivotal when it comes to emissions now in the U.S. It's the largest source of emissions, sitting at 28%, according to EPA data. And within that 28%, cars and trucks, basically passenger vehicles, make up about 60%. So, you know, we know EVs are cleaner and... Having an EV means that as the electricity sector continues to clean up, the emissions that exist today are even going to go lower. Right. Yeah, that's a big chunk of total emissions. Like, by switching to an electric vehicle, if, you know, obviously if a lot of people do that, and it looks like they there will be a lot more of them, you could really cut a big chunk out of that 28%. Yeah, I mean, I would argue especially because it's in the hands of consumers in some ways it's our easiest yeah way to you know to cut emissions at this point i mean it was right. different when you didn't have you know long range electric cars available but yeah but now we i mean that's a it. lever that we can pull we don't need government yeah. to do that for sure so when we talk about driving an ev versus a, a gasoline engine i think it's probably worth pointing out the differences in efficiencies. And when we say efficiency, we mean sort of the energy that, you know, that either comes into the vehicle as gasoline or as electricity and how much of that energy gets converted into, you know, power at the wheels. So I think you've done a little bit of homework in terms of looking at numbers around efficiency. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you're, if you're just talking energy to energy, you know, uh, to start with, uh, an EV will convert, it's usually around like, I think I've seen like 80 to 90% of the energy, you know, that you're starting with to the wheels, right? Uh, which is impressive. Which is really high. And, uh, you know, there, obviously driving, there's all kinds of things that affect that driving conditions, accessory use and stuff like that can either, you know, drop or, you know, rate raise or lower that. Uh, but, a but conventional engines like... I mean, there were some lows, like 12%, but I think all the way up to like 40% possible. I think like some of your, your higher efficiency cars and diesels and stuff can get can get up there to that range. But obviously you can see it's significant difference there. I mean, it's a, it, at best half, right? Yeah, just heat loss. Heat loss is the big one, right? They just conventional engines just lose tons of heat. And that's where a lot of it happens. So that's where when people see like if they go to buy an electric car if they're looking up you know specifications people see that like miles per gallon equivalent yeah and so that's why they'll see such a higher miles per gallon equivalent for an electric vehicle versus your most fuel efficient exactly yeah that's that's pretty incredible so starting out it makes you know it makes a ton of sense to be driving an ev and then when you're talking about uh, emissions, as I mentioned, you've really got two buckets. You've got manufacturing, you know, the process of bringing the vehicle to market, and then the actual driving of the vehicle. And if we talk about driving the vehicle, your emissions 
really become dependent upon where you live and your power mix. So do you live in California where, you know, you've got a ton of renewable energy? You know, do you live in somewhere that's got heavier, you know, coal or, or natural gas? Like West Virginia or a place like that. Yeah. I think has I mean, huge coal, right? Yeah. So regionally it does, it does matter. However, the Union of Concerned Scientists did this great analysis where they looked at uh, these different regions of the U.S. and said, if you fall in this region, you know, your fuel economy, your equivalent fuel economy will be X. And what they found was, on average, across the U.S., uh, we're looking at an equivalent miles per gallon of 88. So even the best hybrid vehicle is, is in the 50s. So no matter what, you're coming out ahead from an emissions perspective um, with an EV. And then if you go to a state you know, like California where you have a lot more renewable energy, their analysis showed that an electric car is getting really the equivalent of like 122 miles per gallon, which is, which is crazy. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's awesome. And the beauty of that is, you know, as we keep going more renewable, those numbers are just going to come up. But they don't sound as cool, Jason. Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, they're definitely quiet. If if you like silence, they sound fantastic. Yeah, um, no, it definitely. And the tailpipe emissions, you're right. Like the manufacturing, there is obviously some some of that's still fairly carbon intensive, or at least equivalent to conventional vehicles on the creation of these things. Right. But they catch up so fast by not having those tailpipe emissions. Yes. It's like the numbers, I think, were, you know, if, if you're all things being equal, you would, you would catch up buying a new vehicle. You'll catch up in two years the difference of the manufacturing of a new EV versus a new gas vehicle. And even, even a used vehicle, you'll cross that gap in four years. Right. So the tailpipe emissions of a conventional vehicle are pretty they're pretty substantial really well and you and i talked about this a little bit the the other you know side of the coin is that while the power mix that's used to you know fuel our electric vehicles is going to get cleaner you, you can't get any carbon out of a gallon of gas like that it is what it is yeah you know? it, and, yeah the, you're right the power mix thing's getting better and better all the time but you're still going to have x number of emissions out of a you know burning a gallon of fuel. Yeah, you're never going to get out of that. Yep. Well, and to your point, so we look at manufacturing versus driving. The numbers that we've, you know, we've looked at show that generally speaking, a gas-powered vehicle, uh, 10% of the emissions, total emissions of the vehicle are associated with the production and then about 90% with the driving. So to your point, right, it's... um, the driving is, is substantially higher. And then when you talk about an electric, it ranges, but anywhere between, you know, 14 and 24% come on the manufacturing side. So slightly higher manufacturing emissions. And then, you know, 76 to 80% on the driving side. Right. So, I mean, the thing that was interesting for me when I looked at that was I was always of the assumption that if I had a used car, it was better to just keep driving it because a fair amount of the emissions were tied up in the manufacturing process. Exactly. A pretty substantial amount. And and that may have been true once upon a time. Right. But 
I mean, what this shows is that's no longer the case. Mm-hmm. That if you have the option to buy a cleaner, a cleaner used vehicle or new vehicle, that you should be moving in that direction. Definitely. So if we move kind of beyond the emissions piece and start and look at batteries and their impact, I know you did some uh, analysis to kind of take a look at the environmental impact of batteries. Yeah, I mean, obviously the extraction process for all the metals and things that are needed in these these lithium batteries is pretty intense. And I think some of the numbers I showed were that, you know, it was about two to three times more than a conventional vehicle as far as like t- toxicity and things that chemicals and the things that could be left in the process. So there's definitely some areas there that to be concerned with about this extraction. And it, it also seems like something that would help with that would be like some type of global standard because it does seem like certain countries, I think the U.S. is, is part of this, is are they're a little bit more concerned about sure. that extraction process and kind of regulating that. And then there's, you know, like I know a lot of batteries come, come from China and, and it seems like they might not be as concerned with some of the extraction right. uh, costs, uh, human costs and things like that, environmental cost. So it definitely seems like we could definitely benefit from some type of a a global standard of right. of extracting this this stuff for these batteries. Yeah, we don't want a situation where because of tighter environmental restrictions, let's say put in place in one country just moves the manufacturing elsewhere because it's cheaper and then you're you're really just polluting another area. Right. And you know the recycling process they're doing it but it's it's very it's very new right now and you know there's just so many batteries in use and we're, and we're so early in it the process that we haven't like had to deal with i think a large number of recycling of the recycling of these batteries but there are plans i know that the department of energy had uh i think it's called the american made challenge to basically get companies and innovators to try to come up with ideas to be able to you know uh, recycle like 90 percent of the materials wow. in these batteries, which would be huge because there's just there's a lot of metals in these batteries, and if we could recycle all that, we would just be so much further ahead, and we wouldn't have to extract so much new. Right. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're right because if production of EVs is going to ramp up, but once you get a certain amount of these essential elements like lithium and cobalt, et cetera, in the mix. If yeah. you're able to recycle most of that, then you reduce the need for extraction. So there is there are efforts definitely out there to try to try to get ahead basically of this problem that, you know, could could potentially be there for the recycling of all these of all these batteries. So the other thing that was interesting when we were talking about some of the research you'd done was this idea that when a car kind of reaches end of life, in some degree, in some ways it's it's not it's not like a, you know, something catastrophically fails. It's more like those fun times when your cell phone, you know, you charge it up and then by the end of life, it's dead within like 30 minutes. You know, you can, you can make about three calls and that's it. Right. But you were calling out the fact that like, even if a battery does get to that point, whatever that is, that there's the opportunity still to make use of it in other applications. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's all these second use applications that they're they're trying to figure out for these batteries so they're they're kind of estimating i think that by the end of life for a lot of these vehicles like the batteries that still maybe be have like 70 percent capacity oh wow possibly so pretty high really i think that myth that all these batteries were just gonna completely go dead or be terrible 
and you know early on in the electric car surge have kind of I think that's been disproven by now pretty much it looks right. like it's not going to be the case it looks like the batteries are going to be fairly consistent and uh, fairly stable you know and I think you've talked about this to me about about basically like power grid situations where you could have a lot of these batteries to kind of use this storage you know if you basically sure. combine them together as storage capacity for like a solar situation or if a factory or you know some place had a lot of solar power you could use these batteries as kind of a a storage storage capacity for some of that generation yeah i i mean most new renewable energy like commercial or industrial size installations are looking at at storage when they put together their kind of financial pro forma and yeah, this would be, you know, I don't, I don't know what the process of getting the batteries out of the car and, and yeah. turning them into, you know, um, a stationary battery looks like, mm-hmm. but yeah, it would seem like a perfect way to, to get some more life out of those batteries. Definitely. You know? And yeah, I mean, recycle, reduce, reuse, recycle, right? So we're the reduced side, sorry, the reuse side yeah. would, uh, would provide some, you know, extra value before those things are, you know, need to be recycled. Yeah, definitely. So with with EV adop- adoption, you know, I mean, we're talking about all these good things about EVs, the I think the inevitable question is sort of what's going to what's going to ensure that we move quickly. And while the prices of EVs have come down, you know, especially among kind of luxury brands, they're still in a place where they're not you know, not really attainable for somebody who's in the, you know, lower income class. And, and there's still a lot of people who are reticent to, to buy, right? The, you've got some early adopters that have jumped on, but you have a lot of people that are maybe still more in a wait and see. And so I think that's where incentives are going to be hugely important. And we talked about those a little bit in uh, our previous episode. I think the best way to kind of summarize is that we, we need more of them. So both continuing the federal level incentives, expanding it to the degree possible, state level incentives as well. And the the ideal mechanism there is having a, instead of a, a tax credit, having a rebate. And then you can package that with like, you know, the point of sale so that right away, you know, somebody goes in, it's like you get those ads from the car dealerships, you know, 2000 cash back. Right. Right. And, and that would then be the case with the EVs. So, you know, you have that, you get that money right away, you know, the, the, the discount right away, the value of it versus a tax credit, which is still beneficial, but you have to wait till you file your taxes. And if you aren't somebody who has, who pays a lot of taxes, if you don't make a ton of money, that's not, it doesn't have quite the value. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I, I think being able to expand those credits and, you know, there's efforts underway to do that is going to be hugely impactful. So I think as always, the most important question is what can we do as individuals in terms of helping with this transition? And in this case, I guess the obvious is buy an electric car and Todd is going to give us his, uh, you know, top three, 10, 15 reasons for, for buying an EV. I am. Um, no, I am. <laughs> well, my my reasons are are simple. Of course, I wanted to do something that uh, you know was good for the environment and you know good for 
carbon footprint, which I think we've we've, we've proven, that. yeah, without a doubt, scientifically between the two of us, that there is no further conversation to be had. But but seriously though, that that was that was one reason. But beyond that, I've really just enjoyed driving the thing. It's it's really one of my favorite cars that I've ever had, if not my favorite. It's just so easy. If I when Do you I feel cool, I mean, is it, out, is it like a you feel sexy when you're driving it, or I think that ship's pretty much sailed. But, <laughs> but <laughs> so there's 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 no rescuing me on that. I don't think anyway, no matter what I was driving. But but when I come out the door, and I'm like. You know, because I still have my my traditional car, and I'm just like, I don't want to drive that thing. Like it's so easy to just hop in the electric, and it just goes. You know, it's it's just easy to drive. It's quick. It's quiet. If quiet is your thing, it's definitely quiet. You don't sure. have to go to the gas station. Yeah. You just drive where you want to go, and you come home, and you just plug it in, and and you're good to go. It's easy. It's very easy. It's been awesome that way. And easy is good for you, so. Well, and there's not a lot of maintenance you have to worry about. It's well, and you, or we rather, did a, you know, pretty in-depth look at this in our past episode, but yeah, you're right. Like, maintenance costs are substantially less. It is just simpler to own. Yeah. You're able to charge from home. Yeah, what, is, that, what, what what, you is that your, is that your, do you have similar reasons for it? I mean, your car does look a lot cooler. I mean, that could be said. I mean, I don't know if it makes me cooler, but it looks cool. People were disappointed when they see <laughs> who's driving it, but but no, it certainly the ease of operation. Just it's simple, right? I like the range piece, like that, because that was initially I think the the limiter for me or the worry about buying an EV was range. You know, I have a Tesla Model Three, and it's three hundred miles, and I. You know, I even questioned at the time whether 300 was going to be enough, but it really, it really has mm-hmm. been because I, you know, my girlfriend and I go on a lot of trips, climbing mountains, climbing rocks, playing in the water. And so when you go on those road trips, you want to be able to have peace of mind. You can get there and there are now charging stations in almost every town. Now they're not all superchargers, you know, yeah. if, if you don't plan your trip adequately, you know, you could be, you could be stopping at a diner for, you know, some pancakes and eggs while you know it charges up a little bit but that's fine i mean for the most part (laughs) so no the range uh the acceleration it's just it's fun to drive in that respect and what else no i think i think you covered it pretty well so yeah so todd has hopefully convinced you if you had any remaining doubts that you need to go buy an electric car and you know buying can take two forms right you can buy brand new and get access to tax rebates, tax incentives. We have a some links on our website where you can see what tax credits and rebates you're eligible for, depending on what state you live in. But you can also buy used. If you're not quite ready to buy a you know long-range car, make that big investment and have that be your one car, the beauty is there are used cars now on the market, used electrics, like a Nissan Leaf that you can pick up for five to 6000 and then that becomes your grocery getter, your you know in-town car, and that gives you a great way to try it out. It also you know reduces the amount of miles you're putting on your your gasoline vehicle. The other the other option, which I think you know you acquired your Spark this way, was to go with a lease. 
I know right now Hyundai, their Kona model, which is a, you know, electric SUV, you can get into their lease program. But I think when you got into the Spark, that was via a lease as well. It was. Yeah. I leased that car. We leased that car for the first like three years. I think, I think I heard from a friend and they were like, I leased this car for a hundred bucks or something like that. And I'm like, what? And so we went in there and sure enough, it was like 117 bucks to lease it. And we were like, well, you can't really beat that. So yeah, we it's just, almost a joke, right? Yeah, like, yeah. We just did it, and and it was awesome, and we kind of fell in love with the car, and so and so we ended up buying it. But yeah, the lease, I would I would highly recommend that. It was great. Yeah. So check out check out the lease option if you're not ready to buy, and get a chance to you know really experience what an EV is like. And then in the meantime, you know, drive less, get out on your bike, get back in mass transit carpool it's all about reducing our carbon footprint wherever we can yeah ride your bike no walk (laughs) yeah and i mean if you're looking for offsets you know we send todd a note we can put him on a bicycle where he can generate electricity and then he can basically work off your carbon i could probably generate enough to maybe charge my cell phone about halfway up (laughs) (laughs) yeah in addition to kind of personal decisions their personal actions. The other piece that that we can all do is encourage our member members of Congress to pass additional tax incentives and and rebates. That's really what's going to accelerate the EV transition, which we desperately need. To make that easier, head to our website. We have some talking points that you can use. It doesn't matter if you sound polished. What matters is that your member of Congress is hearing from a constituent. It's actually surprising how few people actually send a email that they've written or make a phone call to their member of Congress. It, it really does make a difference. Yeah, those things add up. So thanks for tuning in. Come back next week for more climate solutions, reasons for hope, and ways each of us can make a difference. Climate Optimus is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimus.co. That's climateoptimus.co. Follow us on social at Climate Stewards Collective. Climate Stewards Collective.